Hello and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you on this Tuesday, July the 7th of 2020. And as always, it is an honor and a privilege to be able uh, to have you, the listener, tune in with us as we study the Word of God together. Uh, yesterday, we began a, uh, our study, a new series, on the Song of Solomon, and we were able to glean some beautiful things uh, that personally I've, I've never uh, seen it that way. And I know that it's going to bless you and to give you a better understanding of the relationship between God and his bride and his church. And as always, it is a privilege uh, to be here also here with our panel, with Brother Marty, uh, with Brother Fernando, and Brother Jeremiah, which, by the way, today is Brother Jeremiah's birthday. <laughs> and we want to wish you a Amen. happy birthday, Jeremiah. Amen. We're so grateful Amen. to have this young man uh, to be part of this podcast and, and be able to to really, you know, as he represents his generation. And and it is encouraging. It's really encouraging uh, to know that in spite of everything that's going on around the world, there is young people that love God, amen, that love his word and that are hungry for the word of God. So we, re- we uh, pray for God's richest blessings upon you, Jeremiah, and that this would be uh, a beautiful day uh, for you full of many blessings. Amen? So let us start in our study today. (laughs) Yes. Amen. Amen. So let us start today uh, with the study of the word. And Brother Marty, I will leave it to you uh, and uh, to share what God has placed in your heart. And and what a start yesterday, Brother Marty. Uh, We began to study, uh, as we began to study the Song of Solomon and the things that we were able to glean and the foundation that uh, we were able to lay yesterday was beautiful. So I'm excited about what God has for us today. So I'll leave it with you, Brother Marty, as we study the Word of God together. Yes, well, praise the Lord. We, uh, we're we excited for today's second uh, in our series of the Song of Solomon. And today we're going to be uh, in the second section, as we talked about yesterday, uh, we're exploring chapter two of the Song of Solomon, and in it we have been discovering uh, great and, and hidden truths in the Word of God. And basically, in chapter two, from verse one through seventeen, uh, we have the unfolding of of the appearance of the Lord, the the securing of His church, His promise to return, uh, His return again, uh, the judgment of God being poured out, the millennium. And uh, and the return of Christ uh, uh, with his bride, uh, not the millennium, but the return of Christ uh, with his bride after the wrath of God is poured out to institute uh, the thousand years of peace the book of Revelation speaks of at the end of the age. So it's quite a chapter that we're going to be exploring. And we got into it yesterday uh, from verse 1 through 4, the first section. Uh, but before we go on today, we're going to uh, have Brother Jeremy read to us uh, chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. And if you have your Bibles, we encourage you to follow along as we explore part 2 of the Song of Solomon. Brother Jeremy, would you read verse uh, 5 through 8, please? Yes. Stay me with flagons. Com- comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. 
I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the roads and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love, till he please. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Uh, <laughs> the voice of my beloved that's today's part two from the song of solomon but we're going to uh to explore what what is meant in verse five where she talks about i am sick of of love remember as we were discussing yesterday the song of solomon is actually also known as the song of songs that's what verse one chapter one says it's the song of songs which is solomon's and what that means and as we discussed yesterday is it is the highest of all expressions it is the highest uh praise the highest worship and so therefore it represents the the ultimate presence of the lord and really as we were talking about yesterday the song of solomon you rarely hear any messages on it like brother jeremy pointed out yesterday mostly it's <laughs> presented uh, as a as a marriage counselor's kind of thing or or some kind of seminar on <laughs> romantic love, right? Well, yeah, the, I guess you know it is a poem and and a passionate expression that's written here. But on the surface of it, if if that's all you derive from it, then you miss the richness of what's trying to be expressed here. It's written in metaphor. It's written in allegory. It's meant to be prophetic. All of God's word is prophecy. As it is said, that is the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And when Solomon wrote this, he was writing it from that perspective. Remember what Jesus said of him? He was he was the wisest of any man who ever lives except for the Lord himself. So when he writes, he writes very much at, a, at, a, at an incredibly deep level. And that's what's being expressed here. It's about attaining the presence of the Lord. And therefore, from chapter 1 through chapter 8, the entirety of the Song of Solomon really tells the story of the Lord Jesus Christ as the bridegroom and his bride, uh, his, his, his acquisition of his bride, his espoused or engaged bride, and his return to ultimately bring her permanently into his house. That is what is seen in the unfolding of the Song of Solomon. And it has to be understood as prophetic. Because like we said, it tells the story of Christ and his bride. So it also speaks of the journey that we're on and the longing for his return. She meets him. She's engaged to him. And then he goes away. That's what this story is about. And it's, it's, it's pinned and written very much like the book of Revelation. And, and I know that sounds, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, strange to some people. but But in this sense, the whole story, like we said, is about the appearance, the going away, and the return of the Lord for his bride. But it's written in the same kind of a way, because when you read the book of Revelation, and, and those of you who are students of, of Scripture, you know what we're talking about. Those of you who, who would like to see, you just go read that book, the book of Revelation. And what you'll find is many times the, the unfolding mystery in the book of Revelation is expressed in a in a in a in a large picture and then in a small picture so when the prophecies are given it's as if 
you know, John paints this big picture of all things. And then uh, once the big picture is concluded, he goes on into the next chapters, it seems as then he, he zeroes us in, in particular aspects of the big picture. So you'll have a large concept revealed and then you'll, you'll hone in on smaller details within the context of that large picture and it repeats itself. It's the same thing with the Song of Solomon. We have large declarations and then we have intimate expression to give light and to give understanding to the larger concepts that are being put forth in the book. And so it's much more than just a, a poem or, or a romantic declaration. It is a very much a hidden uh, discourse between his, his, uh, her beloved and, and her, her bridegroom and, and the bridegroom to his bride. And, and the whole story is, is quite remarkable as we get into it. And so yesterday, as we explored, as we were saying, it's, it's really about the journey that we're on and the ultimate longing for his return. We focused uh, on the hidden prophecies of it, as we did yesterday in, in, in the first podcast. And, and remember, we have to understand, again, that chapter two, two needs to be broken down into the five sections as it, as it reveals itself as the unfolding plan of God. One of the things, and Brother Jeremy brought it out yesterday, and we discussed it a bit, is, is this is also a story that is revealing uh, the Gentile bride. And, and it also reveals the jealousy that occurs between Israel and Solomon's Gentile bride. And, and it's very interesting because let's just take a look at that. Could you read um, verse 4 and 5, uh, Brother Jeremy, to us of chapter 1? Chapter 1, okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. I am black, but calmly, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, of the curtains of Solomon. And then verse 6 says, Do not look upon me because I'm black, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. So what you just read there and what we were just talking about is this story begins to unfold. It's really, it's a metaphor. It's an allegory. It's a hidden prophecy. And Solomon representing the son of David, if you will, the builder of the house of God in his purest sense before he became a an insane person later in his life. In his purest sense, at the beginning, he represents the Lord himself because Jesus Christ is identified in Matthew's gospel as Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham, right? So here we have the same thing. We have a son of David writing about a particular bride and, and the bride that he writes about, she calls herself black in verse five. She says, I'm black. But she's addressing the daughters of Jerusalem. And, and this story unfolds is that, that Solomon has taken to himself a bride from amongst the Gentile nations. And, and the story unfolds in their, in their struggle with each other throughout 
throughout the narrative of chapter 1 through chapter 8. And that really is telling the story of where we are in the, in the gospel unfolding. See, the daughters of Jerusalem or Jerusalem itself or the nation of Israel rejected her Messiah. She, she, was, she, was, she was casual about it and then ultimately rejected him. And, and, and we see a picture of that sometimes uh, in, in small types throughout the scripture. One of the best ones is, if, if you remember, uh, was Moses when he took uh, his wife. She also was black. Do you remember? Yes. And no, no, no. Moses' wife. Oh, uh, Moses, yes. He, yes. She was, a, she was a, I believe she was Ethiopian. Well, so was Sheba. But, but I think she came from there. But anyway, her or, or, or from the daughters of, of, of Egypt, somewhere uh, beyond Egypt, uh, up in, in northern Africa there. I have to go back and look at it. I'm just going by memory right now. But, 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 but he received um, persecution from his own brethren as a result of that, of him taking a, a, a black woman to be his wife. It's the same here. Solomon uh, and, and takes to himself a, a woman that is not of the house of, of Jerusalem, that is not of the house of the children of Israel. And so what we see here is a veiled and, uh, and hidden a prophecy of the one who would come in the future, a son of David who would take to himself a bride apart from Israel, his bride. And it would cause conflict throughout the ages. See, she was persecuted. That's why she says in verse 6, she says, Do not look upon me, verse 6, chapter 1, because I'm black. Don't look at me that way just because I'm black. They're, they're, they're scrutinizing her. There's this, there's this racial overtone, if you will. Yeah. Not to get, seriously, yeah. it is that way. And yeah. not to get in, and, and one of the reasons they felt that way was because it is said that that the children of Ham, uh, which were born one of uh, Noah's sons, were cursed. One of them was Cush, right? Uh, the tents of Ham and, and and the land of Cush. You'll read throughout the Psalms and the narratives of the Scripture. It's referring to to Egypt and the nations that would become Africa, and so there was this mm-hmm. sense that she had the curse upon her. And it is that same sense, uh, uh, not just because she's black was she cursed, but because of her lineage, of what her father had done, what Ham had done uh, to his father Noah, which you can read of in in Genesis 7, 8, and 9, I believe it is chapter 9, 10, somewhere in there, 10, I think it is, where he he exposes his father's nakedness to his brothers uh, while he was in his tent uh, overcome with wine, the Bible says. And as a result, when Noah woke up and knew what his son had done, he cursed Canaan, and and the whole line uh, became cursed. And Cush was the result of that, which became ultimately the the African people and beyond. And so she's of those people. She also identifies herself as the tents of Kedar. All right, chapter five. I mean, verse verse five. Can you read that again, brother Jeremy? Yes, it says. I am black, but calmly, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. So she's she's referring to the tents of Kedar. Kedar was the son of Ishmael. 
right? So she's got all this going against her, man. I mean, she comes from Kedar. She comes from from the Ishmaelite line, in a sense, right? In the sense that she had, originally, she has no part with the promise, right? Because Isaac, in, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Though Ishmael was Abraham's first son of his, his handmaiden, remember, Hagar, the Egyptian, uh, she comes from that line. So her line has no part with Israel, yet here we see her identifying herself with the tents of Kedar, the lineage of Ishmael. And, 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 and she's coming from that place of the cursed that had no, uh, no, no right, so to speak, by birth or by lineage, to the promises of Israel or the daughters of Jerusalem. But isn't that interesting what Paul uses the same language? I believe it's in, uh, let's take a look over there real quick in, in Philippians. Um, turn over there, Brother Jeremy, would you, to, to Philippians? Yes. Right. I think it's Philippians. It might not be. What about Galatians? Uh. No, where he says you were strangers from, is that Galatians, from the covenant? No, that's Ephesians, Ephesians right? Ephesians, yeah, it's Ephesians yeah. chapter 2. That's right. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, I'm sorry. Listen to how he talks to the Gentiles in, uh, in verse 11 of chapter 2. Would you, would you, Brother Jeremy, read that? Yes. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Okay. Wherefore, remember... That ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are all called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ, yes. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made near or nigh by the blood of Christ. Right. So here we have a description of the Gentiles. They were, they were, uh, they had no covenant. And in verse 12, they said, you're aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You, you didn't come under the dominion, the blessing, or the promises of Israel. You were strangers of the covenant of promise in verse 12. You had no hope, and you were without God in the world. That's how the Jew views the Gentile nations. And that's what's being described here by this woman who says, uh, you know, I'm of the tents of, of, of Kedar. She, she's basically telling the daughters of Jerusalem who she is and where she comes from, but she's asking them not to judge her. Don't look upon me because I'm black. It's, it's an intense scrutiny and disdain for her that the king would even bring her in. But like Paul writes of the Gentile nations, he says, you used to be like that like that woman that Solomon's writing about. You were a stranger from the covenants of, of Israel. You were without God and and uh, in the world, but now you have been brought close by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that's what we were examining yesterday when she says, his banner over me is love. That's the blood of Jesus Christ. 
the banner was the cross. The banner is Calvary. And that's how she was brought into the house. He brought her into the banqueting house. That's what we explored yesterday. So it must be understood from these prophetic metaphors and allegories as we learn from it, that what is being put forth here is, is, is in the eyes of, of Israel is the ultimate disdain because she's not European, you know, she's considered by them as the worst of the worst because she's black. Ah, see, we don't want to go there, right? But this is, <laughs> this is what he right. says. And he wants us to understand that, that the entirety of the Gentile nations were cursed. But who better to bring out as an object of his great love and grace than the ultimate expression, in their eyes, I'm saying, of the curse. That's how they thought about the African people, about the Egyptian people, about black people. And so it was outrageous to them that Solomon would bring her into this level of intimacy with him. Oh, my goodness. See, uh, see, see, that is, see, we go, oh, wow, gosh, that's, some people go, that's just horrible. Well, that's who we are. That's who we are. We are all in, in the in the symbol of darkness and sin. Uh, we have we were all strangers and without hope, and and we had no right. And and that is the attitude that's being expressed here. And yet this is why she loves him so much, because what she's expressing is that don't look at me this way. He doesn't see me this way. Mm. He loves me more than anything. Right, and, and, and that's what we began dis discussing yesterday. She begins to search for him, and we ain't got time to get into this first chapter because it's so rich and beautiful. But I wanted to point out what's being laid forth here. It's incredible because, again, like we said in verse one, it's the song of songs. It's it's declaring the great presence of God, and to whom does He reveal it? but to the one who was cursed in the eyes of Israel, the black woman, the one from Kedar's tent, the one who comes from, from a line that's supposed to be cursed and outside the Abrahamic covenant. This is incredible because it's a prophecy of the church. And, and don't get hung up on the whole black and white issue here. It's, it's representative of an absolutely most despised of people. You know, <laughs> I better not go there. Why well, I am going to go there. Because this is the reason why this whole Black Lives Matter thing is so outrageously stupid. Because you've already been redeemed. You've already yeah. been saved. You've already been given reparations. You have the blessings right. of the covenants of Almighty God. Everything belongs to you now if you'll allow the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you into his banqueting house. You can go out there and fight for whatever you want amongst the thorns all you want to. But in the end, he has already redeemed thee and brought thee into his house. You are already elevated, if you're part of his church, into that glorious and wonderful promise that is realized by his banner over you, which is love. That is Calvary and his resurrection, which testifies of his grace rising to enforce his will and testament for his church. Hallelujah. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, we could really dig into this, but 
but again, let's just quickly get to where we got to go. So, so that's where we went, right? So we know that he's bringing a Gentile bride to himself. That's what this whole story is about. And, and, and the conflict between Israel, she's used to, to make, to make them jealous. Right. And she will, right. And she will ultimately reveal it is, it is by her declaration that the daughters of Jerusalem, the queens, if you will, they turn back to him. They want to begin to know him as a result of her. I want to show you this in in uh, in, uh, in in chapter where is it? Chapter seven, I think, in chapter six. Turn over there real quick, uh, because when you actually go through the story, as we said, as he as he nears his return and, and she's looking for him. In chapter six, by this time, this this one that they were scrutinizing, she begins to to turn them to listen to her. What what she begins to to express to them in in chapter five. Look at chapter five, brother Jeremy. Um, she begins to describe him in verse eleven. Can you read verse eleven? Yes, his head is as the most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes, his eyes like the, yeah, go ahead. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. Wow. So, so and then she goes on. So, yeah, she just really basically, she goes on to just describe what an awesome, magnificent, wonderful king he is. And this is this is the black woman, right? This is this is the lily amongst the thorns that's speaking now. But before she begins that, who is she talking to in verse eight? Who is she talking to? Read verse eight. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, my beloved, that you tell him that I am sick of love. There she's using that phrase again. She's longing for him. She's overcome. And now she's talking to the daughters of Jerusalem and what Brother Jeremy just read in 12. You can read all the rest of it all the way through. Um, she's describing who he is. And by the fact that she's preaching about him, this is a prophecy of the end of time, which is where we're living now. Because ultimately Jerusalem or the daughters of Jerusalem will come back to him. Because he will use this bride to make her jealous. And here the transition is taking place in chapter 5 where she begins to preach and talk about him with such an incredible anointing and descriptive ability, empowered and full of the, of the Lord's spirit in her heart. And then when she gets to verse 16, what does she say, Brother Jeremy? You said uh, 16, 16, right? Yes. His mouth is most sweet yeah he is altogether lovely this is my beloved and this is my friend O daughters of jerusalem and by that time they get overwhelmed and now what do they tell her whether is thy beloved gone O thou fairest among women whether is thy beloved turned aside that we may seek him with thee Wow. That we may seek him with thee. This is where he brings the two together. See, because when Jesus returns, he's going to come for both his Gentile bride and his Jewish yeah. bride. But he's going to use the one that they despised all that time 
we hate the church. The Jew hates the church. <laughs> but at the right. end, Solomon's prophet saying, she's going to be so beautiful and so full of the spirit that when she proclaims his gospel, when she describes Jesus, that's why it's so outrageous what you hear in this compromised mega church of, you know, backslidden religious elite established hyper charismatic Pentecostal and denominational world today. Because all they yeah. talk about is this world, this place, this here and now, my best life now, my Learjet, my mansion. They don't talk about their beloved. Why? Because they don't know him. But there is, mm-hmm. hallelujah, a mm. glorious mm. church. And she yes. knows him, and she loves him, and she's so familiar with every uh, little little crack on his face, every 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 lock of his hair, every every sparkle in his eye. I mean, she knows him, and when she begins to proclaim him, hallelujah, mm. God, somebody stop me because that's that's the kind of bride. This is an anointing that's coming on the church. He said, if I yes. be lifted up, right, if I be lifted up, I don't know what you're preaching, preacher, but if you ain't preaching Jesus, then sit down until you get to know him like this, because his yes. whole bride is going to declare him this way. And when that happens, Israel turns. And, and verse chapter six, verse one, she says, where is your beloved? I want to know this guy. <laughs> where, yes. where is he? And, and, and no longer is she being despised as the black woman of the tents of Kedar, right? Now they're calling her the fairest of women. And now they want to seek him with her. That's the spirit of grace and supplication. My God, I don't think you know what I'm talking to you about. But that's <laughs> the word of God. So anyway. <laughs> the Apostle Paul in, in Romans 11 uh, spoke about that very thing that God would use the Gentiles to provoke uh, mm. the Jews to jealousy, right? In, in yeah, Romans yeah. eleven eleven, it says, I say read, then. Read that. read that to us, brothers, would you? Yeah. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Speaking of uh, Israel, the Jews, God forbid, says, but rather through their, <laughs> through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Yes. Mm. There it is. So God is using wow. us to reach to the Jews, right? Yes. Reach out to the yes. Jews, the Gentile people. He's redeemed us, right? Because he has a master plan. He's working something out, something beautiful. And he's really uniting two people, right? Yes. Both yes. Jews and Gentiles. Yeah. And that's exactly, that's what we see here. That's why this song of songs is a great prophetic declaration. So beautifully uh, described the process, how both of them uh, come to know him. And and ultimately his promise to redeem Israel, like Brother Fernando was just reading uh, in the end. Because like we just read in chapter six, right? Um, she, you know, what attracts uh, Israel or the daughters of Jerusalem in the end is the glory by which uh, the, the true church of Jesus Christ speaks of her beloved, because her beloved is of the nation of the daughters of Israel, of the daughters of Jerusalem. 
and 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 they've been waiting now two thousand years uh for their Messiah, and he has not come. They've searched every place but for the one that was originally presented to them that they rejected. And so he chooses his lily amongst the thorns and uses her to, like Brother Fernando read, um, bring them back to him. So out of the two, right, he makes one. He makes one new man. That's what we looked at yesterday. We went into chapter 2, verse verse 1 through 4, and we talked about the process. In verse 1, he presents himself as the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. In other words, chapter 2 of Song of Solomon, verse 1, that's what we looked at. He begins to seek his bride. He announces himself as the I am the rose of Sharon. I am the lily of the valleys. He announces himself as the rose. That is the strength of God. Wherever you read rose in the Bible, it's talking about the strength. He is the strength of Sharon. That is the plain. There's nothing that stands before him. All things are made level and cleared out before him. He's the strength of God. He's the lily, which is the purest of flowers, the whitest of flowers. That's how he presents himself, both the strength and the holiness. He is God himself. I am the rose of Sharon. I am the lily of the valley. And he sets forth to seek his bride. And he describes her as a lily, verse 2, amongst thorns, right? That's what we were looking at yesterday. And we talked about the lily representing purity. He's looking for a pure bride. He's looking for a spotless bride. That's who he's going to take out and select. And she's amongst the thorns. That is the daughters or the nations of the world. That's how he describes her. Those that are under the curse. He's going to bring out of those those cursed nations a lily, a beautiful, white, and pure thing. And, the re- and it's interesting that he calls her a lily because he just called himself a lily. Right? He's the lily of the valleys, and he's looking for a lily amongst the thorns. Hidden in those phrases is a very beautiful communication by the Spirit through Solomon that we will be one with him in purity, in holiness. Right? That's yes. why he calls her a, a lily, and he calls her his love amongst the daughters. You know, Amongst the nations, he has brought forth one spotless bride. And then verse 3, she discovers him. Right, We talked about that. She describes him as the apple tree. Uh, amongst all the trees of wood, right? And we talked about the apple uh, representing King David or the tribe of Judas. And David describes and desired God would keep him as the apple of his eye, which is speaking of the tribe of Judah. And the apple is the fruit that would come from the tribe of Judah. And trees, like we talked about yesterday, represents the nations of the world. And so what she begins to discover of this one who's come in search of her is that is that fruit will emerge from the tribe of Judah, from the nation of Israel. He doesn't come in all the other philosophies or trees or nations, religions of the world. He comes out of one place, one tree, and it's described as an apple tree. He comes from Israel. He comes from David. He comes from the tribe of Judah. He is the Lord amongst all lords. <laughs> He's the king of kings, right? So he's the bridegroom that comes from Judah and Israel. And she says this, that is who my beloved is amongst the sons. We looked at that yesterday. In other words, he's above all the sons. What That, that, that word sons, as we talked about, uh, it, it means ben, which means he's the builder. But it, it, its root word also goes to Elohim or the angels. So he's above the angels. He's the master builder of the house of God. 
That's what she begins to discover about him. He was before all things, and by him all things consist. There wasn't anything that was made that was not made by him. All things were made by him and for him. That this is the master builder that she begins to be drawn to, this one from the nation of Israel, this one from the house of David, this fragrant and, and wonderful fruit that is produced from Israel by God. And then when she begins to discover those things that like we talked about yesterday in verse 3, she sits down under his shadow with great delight. To sit down, we talked about that, the wooing process of the Spirit, how the Lord brings us to himself. We discover more and more about him along the way. And finally, we make that choice to sit, that is to submit under him. It speaks of in intimacy because it goes on to say where she sits is under his shadow. We talked about scripture comparing scripture with scripture. Uh, you know, <clears throat> blessed is the man who dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. He shall abide, what, under the shadow of the Almighty. So it speaks of that intimate, secret worship and presence of God that he's coming under the influence of. And when that happens, his divine protection comes over her. Just as he, he came over you individually and me and all that come to him and submit to him. It is in that submission under his protection that she begins to declare in verse 3, his fruit is sweet to my taste. That, that represents uh, the gospel that he preaches to her. You know, what he preaches, what she, what she partakes of is his doctrine, right? The Bible says in Matthew <clears throat> That, that, that all the people marveled at him because he didn't speak like a scribe, but he spoke as one having authority. This is the Lord she, she submitted to, and he begins to teach her. And what he teaches, she describes as being sweet to her taste. She's tasted of all the other things of the world. I mean, that is, that, that's the experience of salvation. You've, been out, you've, you've tried everything else already, and nothing satisfied. But when you came to him, when you acknowledged him, when you decided to submit yourself under him, his protection came over you, and he begins to teach you. And what he teaches is sweet to the taste. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like him. And when he sees that quality, and when we begin to partake of his word or his gospel, it is then that he selects her, right? In verse 4, he brought her into the banqueting house. We talked about this being a reference to Passover and how the rabbis say that the Song of Solomon is only read publicly at Passover. The banqueting house, it, it, it refers to that, that last supper because the banqueting house is where the bridegroom uh, cuts a covenant with his bride. It's where they become engaged and espoused one to another, but not until there's a process. Once that process is active, he then selects. That's when he begins to act. He brings her from that place of submission and instruction and protection. He now brings her deeper. You cannot enter into that relationship until those things are in place. But that's what he did. He brought us in to the banqueting house. And it's there, like at the Last Supper, at the last Passover he celebrated, that he cut a new covenant. That new covenant is the marriage contract that he has with his church. And it's there that he cuts the covenant and she declares his banner over me is love. Why? Because a dowry always has to be paid for the bride. 
it's 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 the price paid to redeem her unto himself and so when she uses that descriptive language his banner over me is love she's referencing calvary because we were bought and paid for in the love of god god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that's what's being said here and so the church is born his banner over us the declarative flag by which we march for all eternity will be that we were bought and paid for on Calvary by his precious blood. Now, we come to verse 5, 6, 7, and 8, and we're going to hurry here, but something happens, right? Something happens because she right. says, can you, read, can you read verse 5, Brother Jeremy? Yes. Stay, with me, stay, stay me with flagons. Comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. So the first thing that you read there, stay me with flagons and company, uh, uh, comfort me with apples, is what she really says after she declares, I am sick with love. And what she's declaring is, I I'm, I'm lovesick. I'm, I'm, suddenly it appears that this one who brought me into the banqueting house and has put his banner over me as love, I can't find him. He's gone. That's why she becomes uh, heartsick or, or lonely for him. Suddenly, a loneliness occurs. He's gone. He's withdrawn himself. And that's what she's saying. And what Solomon was revealing here was that once he cuts the covenant, the new and the everlasting covenant, once he pays the price, the banner over her with love, suddenly he's no longer going to be there. And her reaction mm -hmm. is one of declaration. She says, I'm sick. I, I'm lonely. I miss him. I, 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 he, I'm longing for him. Suddenly he's not there. This is the gospel story. Because after the Lord paid, paid his price and, and he rose from the dead, he left his bride. He left right. her. And that's why she begins to long for him. So she makes a prayer. She says, stay me with flagons. Comfort me with apples. This is really incredible because what she's literally saying is, 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 is to the only way I'm going to be sustained, because that's what stay me means. The only way that I'm going to be able to up, to be held up under this, this sickness of love, of longing for him is with flagons. And the only way I will be comforted is with apples. What she's really talking about there is the Holy Spirit. She's talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. She's talking about the Word. Because remember, apples, she already identified the apple is, is the Lord, right? He's the fruit that's produced from the one tree. And so multiple apples indicate his gospel or his teaching. And and. <laughs> and, and the flagons represents wine or the spirit. So spirit and truth, you could say that way, is what she's crying out for. I need his spirit. I need his truth. Or I won't be able to bear up under the fact that he's gone. What's being revealed there is that the bride is at a deficit when the, when the bridegroom isn't there. And she realizes it. And, there's, and she begins to cry out prophetically in her prayer. I can only be upheld with flagons. I can only be comforted with apples. 
I want to, I want to, I want to look something. Up. I want to talk about something here real quick so we don't miss it. Because I want to, I want us to consider the depth of her love and ask ourselves: Do we miss the Lord like this? Can we honestly say this? I'm, I'm sick. It literally means to be at the point of death. That, that that she longs for him so much and so deeply. That's I'm just gonna put a pause here because you know he is not coming back for this casual Laodicean bride that we see today. I mean, it, 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 he will come back for his bride, but it's gonna be those who 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 are literally paralyzed without him who literally love him at a depth that they long and travail for him cuz that's what she's describing here and and we have to ask ourselves because this whole song of songs is about the ultimate prize which is to be in his his presence that's where this is headed his return brings his present. It's the song of songs. It's the conclusion of all things. It is the gift. It is the promise. It is the hope of, of my beloved's return. And until then, I'm absolutely overcome with a travail and a longing for him. What this reveals is the depth of her knowledge of him. Because remember, he's been wooing her. Right. He's been bringing her. She submitted to him. Look, we're all human beings, man. We don't just let go of, of my onda, man, as we say in my community. We don't just let go of my thing. She did. She was so overwhelmed with his invitation to marry him. But it was after process, just like when you came to the Lord. And when she submitted to him, his covering, his shadow came about her, his protection, and he begins to teach her, instruct her, and it's in that, you know, where she talks about, you know, the taste being sweet in, in verse 3. She, she She's talking about an intimate exchange of, of intimate revelation of himself, so that when he does leave her, She's absolutely disillusioned. She's disoriented, I guess is the best way to say it. She doesn't know how to get her bearings. She's love struck. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And and the question is, are we? Amen. Because if we're not, then we need to go back to square one. We need to really search our heart by the Holy Spirit and say, what's wrong with me? that I don't have this compelling desire to reunite with the one who took away my sin, yeah. who lift yeah. the burden of the guilty conscience of the, of the horrible life I lived before he came and, and took my burden away, before he, in his abundant love and the mere expression of that love toward me, broke me. And I wept rivers of tears of cleansing as I, as, as like the, the precious woman who washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. So much gratitude 
for the lifting of, of the most secret things that 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 wounded me throughout a lifetime of of living apart from him and when he came to me and he took that from me over and over and over again and then when he left me i suddenly sensed i can't live without him you know do we have that kind of a knowledge of him because the only way you can be that truly in love with someone is if you truly know that person at such a level because what's being described and revealed here as his gentile bride is this kind of a quality this is who he's coming back for those who love him like that nothing satisfies nothing catches my fancy nothing enters my thought processes my whole thought is of him. I'm so overcome. I'm absolutely undone. I need his presence. And the only way she begins to prophetically pray, right, that this can even remotely be a wilderness I can endure is if I have his spirit and his word active and alive in me. It'll be enough for now until I see him, right? What this reveals is, is the depth of her knowledge of him, the love that he gave to her that forever changed her. And apart from him, she's almost sick to the point of death. She's sick with love. And so she says, like we just said, stay me. Hold me up. Sustain me. How? With flagons. And that, that word flagons, it likens us back to, to the earthly king. King David, remember when he came into let's just look at that real quick. Look at Second Samuel, would you? Turn over to Second Samuel, you guys. Second Samuel chapter six. We're hurrying. I'm hurrying. Powerful. In Second Samuel, you remember the account, uh King David goes and brings the presence of God, right? The ark. He goes to get the presence of God. And if you can see it, I, I wonder if, if Solomon was thinking of this this story, you know, because that's what the Song of Songs is. Like we've been talking, it's about God's presence. David goes and gets the presence. He brings the presence into Jerusalem. Remember what she said in verse 3, how she came to sit under his shadow, what, with great delight, right? She rejoiced, right? his presence, his intimate presence. When David brings the ark into Jerusalem, I mean, the whole city is under such great delight as the presence of God comes. They're dancing, they're singing. David's dancing with all of his might. But then David goes and he takes the ark and he puts it away. He puts the presence in the tent, which he pitched for it, right? If you know your Bible. And, and that's, in essence, kind of what's being expressed in this part of the Song of Solomon. When his presence is removed in that sense and it goes to its place, um, it's hidden from sight. But David does something really interesting. He does what she's requesting in the Song of Solomon. He, he does it in verse 19. After he puts the ark away, what does it say, Brother Jeremy? This is chapter 6. Chapter, yes, chapter 6, verse 19. Second Samuel. It says, And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, 
as well to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. They experienced this great banquet. They experienced this great presence of, of the bridegroom, right? But represented by the ark, presence of God. And then when it when it goes away and he puts it in its place, in the secret place, he doesn't leave them without something. He, he gives a flagon of wine, a cake of bread, a piece of flesh. All of that means so much, but... But that is what she requests. It's it's it, it, it's both uh, when it talks about a good piece of flesh, it's actually referring to to raisin cakes, you know, the, yes. the fig cakes, and 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 the flagon is is wine. It's 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 the spirit. And so this cake of raisins, this bread, this wine flagon that David, it harkens to what he did when he hid the ark away. But but look what look what happens uh, immediately. Uh, he comes home. In verse 20, and he's confronted. It says, then David returned to bless his own house, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, comes out to meet David and begins to criticize him. And David uh, rebukes her in verse 21 and tells her, uh, tells Michael, I was chosen uh, by the Lord, and he chose me before your father to appoint me a ruler over the people, over Israel. In other words, she's questioning his, his, what he just did. And notice what he says to her in verse 22. You think I'm crazy? I'm going to be crazier still. I'm, I'm going to be more vile than, than, than this. Yeah. He says, to the point that I'm, I'm base in my own sight. But then he says this, and of the maid servants which you've spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. It, it is like this woman. She was despised by the daughters of Jerusalem, right? But this is who he chose to be had. Uh, to be described and loved like this. None of the daughters of Jerusalem were talking about the king this way, the bridegroom this way. It's this woman. And so we see a veiled and beautiful type of it in this story. Now go back to Song of Solomon because because it's 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 representative of the two things that she asked for. She asked for the flagon to hold her up and to be comforted with apples. So what we see here then is, is, is a prophetic reference to how this bride will be sustained. The first thing is the flagon of wine, which the reason I hearkened back to David was because the presence is put away. Just like when the Lord goes away in this story, the bridegroom goes away. But the first thing she asked for is the components. Flagons can also be the cake of figs or, or, or wine. She's asking for both. And what that represents is the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. She needs the, the cake of figs. She needs the wine. She needs both. She needs the flagons. What begins when, when the Lord goes away is that the word becomes full. Because the next thing she asks for is the apples, multiple apples. It's the fruit of the Lord's tree. He's the apple, right, of the eye of God. And, and so his fruit, in essence, is the New Testament. The cake and the wine is the old, the fruit uh, is the new, and the two combined is what's going to sustain her. Can you see that? Yes. Amen. You need to think, of, need to think about it. <laughs> so, so, look at, so look at verse 6. 
her prayers answered. How? By the outpouring of the Spirit. Read verse 6, would you, Brother Jeremy? It says, His left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. Yes. So she cries out when he goes away and says, I need need flagons of wine uh, to, to hold me up, or the flagons to hold me up, and I need apples to comfort me. I believe that's a reference to the apples being the fruit of what Jesus produced, which was the New Testament, the flagons hearkening back to his own father, David, which are bread, cake, and figs, which is under the Old Covenant or the, or the Old Testament. The Word is both going to become the, the, the one Bible, right, the Old and the New combined. She needs both. And, and then that's what she's asking for. And then the response suddenly is, his left hand is under my head. His right hand does embrace me. Now, this has to be understood from the perspective of what we just said, the Old and the New Testament. See, the left hand, <laughs> as I was doing some research, and, and, and of, course they didn't, uh, of course, they don't understand it in the way that we would because we're the, we're the church of, of God. But they said that the left hand is where they tie the tethylene, you know those that 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 leather strap they tie on their on their arm and 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 a little box at the end of their wrist it's their prayer tefillin that's what they call it it's where they put scriptures in a little box and they put it on their head and they tie it to their arm right you shall bind them on thy on thy hand and 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 put them as frontlets between thy head this this is tied by the right hand on the left hand or on the left arm and so it is symbolic of the old covenant or the or the word it, it you need both and and she's the the left hand under my head is referencing the renewing of her mind she has to be renewed mm-hmm. but his right hand doth embrace me speaks of of his body his church his, he's holding her close with both the right hand is the lord jesus christ the left hand is is the word of Moses really? I mean, it's both New Testament, Old Testament, but 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 both of these qualities are what the hand is under the head, the arm is around the body. It speaks of instruction and comfort, does it not? Because that's yes. what she asked for. She asked to be held up with flagons, but to be comforted with apples. It speaks of instruction and comfort. And so what we see in verse 6 is her request to endure until her beloved returns is, is, is given to her symbolic language in that her, the left hand is under the head, the right hand, which represents the Lord, is around her body, both spirit and truth. It is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that both instructs us and embraces us or comforts us until our our Lord returns. So what we see there in verse 6 is the prophecy of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And notice uh, how... Yes, go ahead. Brother Marty, can we also say the right hand is directly a, a type of Jesus, right? He sits on the right hand of God. Uh, he represents the completion because he embraces. That's the New Testament when he came, when he died on the cross, the embracing. Can we say that? <clears throat> Yes. right hand. I think that's what we were just saying, right? That the right hand is the Lord embracing his bride. But it's both, right? Because you can't separate 
hands from a body, right? I mean, so it, right. it's God, right? But the Spirit does both. Isn't it the Spirit's job to teach to us and to reveal to us the Lord Jesus, right? The right hand. And it's also right. the Spirit's job to renew our mind. The left hand is under our mind. So it's both. It's the coming together of the two, spirit and truth. They're, they're, they're not separate, but they must be understood as the functioning ministry of the Holy Spirit that is given to their bride as a result of her cry in verse 5, which is, I, I need to be stayed with flagons. I need to be comforted with apples. The response is, the flagon is, is the left end, the apples is the right. The two are not separate. They work in conjunction, but it is a comforting gesture. And he is the comforter. We know he's not there, right? He's gone away. So how can he be holding her head and embracing her with his right hand? Only by the Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit. So yes, absolutely. But they're one and the same, right? They're, they're, they're three in one. He's got okay, so so and and to see this while we're while we're putting this forth is because what we see in verse seven, her she suddenly changes. She's no longer this this weak, uh, you know, overcome, travailing. I feel discombobulated. I need something. I need mm-hmm. flagons. I need apples. You know, all that stuff we've been discussing. And then then comes the left hand under the head, the right hand embracing her in response to what she needs. Remember what he told his disciples, uh, you know, let not your heart be troubled, right? He goes, I won't leave you comfortless. But he was expressing what they were already feeling because he said he had to go away, right? And because I've told you I have to go away, your heart is troubled, right? But he said, it's better for you that I go away because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit won't come to you. So this is what we see happening here. He goes away. She's freaking out. She cries out and says, I need this. Right? And then, and then it's, he comes. It's what, the, uh, it's, what, it's what the Apostle Paul said that the Lord did to him. And it, and it feels that way sometimes, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We call it our first love, right? Uh, he yeah. told the yeah. church in one of the seven churches in Ephesians. Uh, he said, mm-hmm. you, have, you left your first love. Right. Basically, yeah. you stop seeking me somewhere along the line. You stop seeking yeah. me. You, you, you know, I came and gave you my love and I wooed you. You fell in love with me. You were in your first love. And then what he, what he told the disciples and I think uh, John uh, 13 or 14, right, where he says, let now your heart be troubled. He says, yeah. and then he leaves. And he leaves. Yeah. Right? He, he just, right. He just shows his love to us gives us the banner of love and then he leaves that's what he did to his disciples and yeah. and now and the apostle paul used the words he apprehended me yes yeah right he, he got a hold of me hallelujah because now now my <laughs> life desire is to apprehend him who wooed me yes i'm paul. going after him right it's, it's so yeah. beautiful what 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 the what with the song here uh, the song of songs is the song of all songs. It's 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 the most intimate of all songs, right? Yeah. This yeah. this particular uh, song right here is what it's 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 the deepest, most intimate kind of relationship there is. It's the song of songs. Praise you the know? Lord. And, and this is you asked the question earlier. 
do we are, are we this lovesick for him that we our whole now our whole walk you know is to go like the apostle Paul said I don't know I don't know if anybody said it any better you know he said I there's yeah. one thing I do I press towards the mark I'm I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going after my beloved you know he used to yeah. say things like I'm groaning I groan in the spirit you know to be in his presence. You know, yeah. to 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 be in His presence. So it, it's so beautiful what uh, what the Word is saying to us here. If you can hear it by the Spirit, right? Amen. It's beautiful <laughs> too because, uh, Brother Marty, it, it, I was just going to say it's beautiful because we cannot even love Him of ourselves unless we are apprehended by Him first. Yes, <clears throat> and I think that's very important. It's, you know, that, that, it's that agape love, right, <laughs> that yeah. comes from God. God is love, you know, and so we cannot even love him of ourselves. It has to be unless we are apprehended of him because that's what, he, that's what you were teaching about, how the, the beloved, uh, he, he wooed her, you know, and, and yeah. took her out of her misery, her pain. When you were talking about the, flight, the, the flagons and the apples, yeah. you know, wine, Wine is also something, it, it was used in those days also for healing, right? It wasn't just yeah. to bring joy, but it's also, it was also used as a healing um, uh, source, uh, wine, you know, in oh, the old days. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so, you know, so much beautiful uh, uh, parallels that we see here, what, what we're talking about. But we have to be apprehended by him. And that's what happened yeah. to Paul, what Brother Fernando was saying, that he was apprehended so much that now, all of a sudden, after from that road of the mouth, he gets up with power and with authority and with strength. And now, because he had a revelation of who Jesus really was, and he was apprehended of him first. Yeah, and I think that's Thank what God. we see. In, I think that's what we see in verse four, right? That's where she's apprehended. You know, he he brought me into the banqueting house. And that's yeah, where she's yeah. got. Right. And, and everything to that point was the wooing, the decision, the process, the surrender of a heart. Once he saw that under her, once yes. what he gives her is sweet to her taste. Then he brings her Then he says she's qualified because all these things were in place. And, and that's that's what we saw all along the line in the ministry of Christ. We saw those, We whether it's. It's, uh, you know, Mary uh, at his feet pouring out the spikenard at the table uh, and filling the house with the fragrance or, or the woman that we just discussed who wept and washed his feet with her tears and, and washed them and, and dried them with her hair. Or, or it's a Peter who's weeping bitterly and yet is healed by, by a divine appearance of the Lord after his resurrection. Or, 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 or a Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea walking up the hill to take... Christ off the cross uh, as they realized he was that brazen serpent in the wilderness that he had become a curse for them. Or, 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 or the countless examples that we can give uh, throughout uh, the man from Gadara who didn't want to let him go after he cast out all those devils holding to him. All these things it, it qualified them then uh, to be on the other side, right? to come toward him and, and be brought and, and become his bride. And forever his banner over us, right? The cross of Calvary. And so like you guys were saying so beautifully, you know, then he goes away. 
and 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 the instant that he goes away it's 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 such a deep expression that Solomon is giving us here of of her conversation because she prays prophetically she lets us know what is going to be necessary to sustain her in the upcoming interim that she's going to experience the wilderness of this world until he returns to take her as his bride and that's why she cries out, I'm only going to be able to stay up under this kind of, you know, this isolation in this ugly old world. Once you're gone, how am I going mm-hmm. to know you? Once the light of the world has left, how will I know you? Where are you? You know, I mean, that that she's speaking in a, he's writing in a very prophetic sense of the expression of a prophetic travail. And 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 the answer comes in verse six, like we said. Suddenly, his hands are there. His left hand is under her head. His right hand is around her, drawing her close to himself. That's the answer to the prophetic travail of of the bride, who for a very brief moment would see him go away. Consider that when we look at the book of Acts, because for ten days, the only ones who had received the Spirit were the apostles when Jesus rose uh, from the dead and appeared in, in the room where they were gathered, and he breathed on them, remember, and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit, because they were going to become the fathers of the church. They were going to become the containers of that, quote-unquote, procreative spiritual power. Wherever the gospel is preached, it causes the new birth. They were the fathers, the the foundations of the apostles were built upon. But the rest of the church gathered in the upper room, They didn't have the Spirit. And the Bible tells us that that over 500 people had seen him rise. They were gathered on that Mount of Olives, all those witnesses that he appeared to. And he told them, you tarry here until you be endued with power from on high. It was only 10 days between his ascension and the outpouring of the Spirit. But those 10 days are what we're witnessing here in verse 5. I am sick with love. I need something, right? I mean, that's what she's crying out. And that's what was going on in the upper room. They were up there crying out and travailing for the Spirit. And and so, but then the Spirit comes. His left hand under my head, his right hand does embrace me. And when that happens, suddenly she's changed. She's empowered. She's not lying on her sickbed anymore. She gets up in verse 7 and begins to declare, right? I charge you. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. I don't know if you can see it, but that's what happened. Once right. his hand comes, do you see it? Once his hand yes. comes, it is the spirit. It's the comforter who's come in, in, in response yes. to, to her prayer. And once he comes, she's not lying around sick on her her lovesick bed, so to speak, right? Now she's up and full of strength and commanding, I charge you. She's a church full of the Spirit. And she begins to charge the daughters of Jerusalem by the rose and by the hinds of the field that you don't stir him up or awake my love. What does all that mean? She's now full of the Spirit of God. She's strengthened. But what Mm. we see her saying here, what we see her saying here is don't usurp his plan, O Jerusalem, yes. O daughters of Jerusalem, and really the nations of the world too. And what's being indicated here is that time is going to pass. Mm-hmm. You know, 
and that and that this is going to leave you vulnerable. That's what she means by the rose and the hinds of the field. They're the most vulnerable of, of creatures because they're not under his shadow. They're not protected. She uses that descriptive language. It's it's a warning, in a sense, to all who will not come under the, under his his love like she has. And she she's basically prophesying. She's talking about the vulnerability of all who don't know him. And then she's saying there's an appointed time. And she uses the phrase, you know, until he pleases. In other words, he's not going to come back and execute judgment because that's literally what she's saying here. Because Jerusalem has always wanted him to come back and, and, uh, and destroy her enemies. And she's basically rebuking them. Saying the truth is you're now vulnerable and don't don't try and get him to do all this stuff that, that he ain't gonna do for you. He'll do it, but when he pleases. And there we see, after she's empowered with this, the spirit, which we see referenced in verse six, his left hand under my head, his right hand embracing me, she's now full of the spirit. So now she's not, you know, laying around in this overcome enfeebled state, lovesick and empty. Now she's full. And she's charging, she's declaring, she's full of the spirit. And what she's declaring is is is, is that, that there's going to be a time elapse. And, and the appointed time of his return will be when he desires. It's in his domain, it's under his authority. And she's good with it. <laughs> I mean, you know, she's not, no, hurry up and come back. No, she's not like that. We got work to do. And she begins, she goes about preaching right away, right? And she goes about prophesying. And she goes about declaring by the full spirit of the Lord that he will return at the appointed time. And so we see here a revelation of, of the history of the church and the unfolding of time that would take place between her love going away and his love returning. But she's comforted now. Because the comforter has come. His hand is her left hand under her head. His right hand is embracing her. It's the comforter. But then comes the transition. And this is where we'll pick it up tomorrow. Because now, as we get to verse 8, the silence is pierced. The, the, The time has passed. The time that he pleases is now approaching. Because verse 8 begins with what? She declares, the voice of my beloved. Suddenly she hears, after all this time, she hears his voice. What does he say? Read that. Hallelujah. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. Praise God. And that's where we'll pick it up tomorrow. Because that's the voice that we're hearing now. Yes. If you can't hear it, then you need to really search your heart and ask him. And and, and and that's between you and him. He's your bridegroom. But he is. She hears. She's going to hear his voice. And what she hears, she recognizes something. His voice. No other voice. She knows his voice. And his church all over the world right now. You can't say it's over there or it's over here. Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus. It's like the wind. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it came from or where it's going. You know, And so are all, he says, that are born of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right? 
He has his church like that. It's everywhere. You, you, you don't know where it came from, but when you hear the real deal, you know that's it, right? That's the Spirit yeah. of God. That's his church. Hallelujah. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what he was saying. So we're all that are born of the Spirit. And, 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 and so I know around the world that there are many that are hearing. Those of you who have been listening to these podcasts, I know God's been stirring you. As much as he's been stirring us, the voice of my beloved, Behold, he cometh. That's her message. And we're going to get into that tomorrow because what she hears is he's coming soon. He's on his way. Leaping and skipping references also he's coming to judge quickly. And and, and we'll, maybe we'll look at that tomorrow because she references mountains and hills. Very descriptive language, very much harkens to the seven, the mountains of uh, of the book of Revelation. And the hills are the nations. That's how he's coming. He's coming quickly. And that's what she begins to declare. He's on his way. He's my beloved. And she's basically warning and saying what he's coming to do now <laughs> is to judge. And we'll pick it up from there tomorrow. Song of Solomon, part two, the voice of my beloved. We love you, Lord, and pray you return quickly. Brother Jeremy, Brother Fernando, anything else to say today? Well, this has been... This has been powerful. I just, I was just thinking how the Lord has taken us from the ten versions, the series we just finished, to now yeah. the Song of Solomon. This is yeah. so prophetic. This is so prophetic because in these days we are going to need the Holy Spirit. And if you're sure. expecting the, if, if, as Brother Marty and Brother Fernando, we've been saying. If you are, if, there, if there's an expectation inside of them, you should be, your heart should be longing to see your beloved. Hallelujah. You know, and that's why Jesus, you know, we get comfort in this. Jesus told his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Right? He said, yeah. let, let not your heart be, I go to prepare a place. Believe, you, he said, you believe in God, believe also in me. I go to my father's house to prepare. He would also tell him in, in uh, he also saw that they were um, sorrow filled their heart, and he said, and he told them, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. So, Holy Spirit, we are going to need more of Him in this hour Amen. to sustain us, to sustain us, and as our hearts. As the, the coming of the Lord is near, of the of, of the bridegroom, our hearts are going to continue to join that voice that the revelation says, the spirit and the bride say, come, Lord. I pray that you've been encouraged. I pray that this is encouraging your faith and, 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 and causing you to long, hallelujah, to long to seek him, to apprehend him. And so we praise God for this uh, study in the Word of God today. And we look forward to being with you tomorrow, uh, Lord willing, on Wednesday. And um, we pray that you have been blessed. May God bless you. May God keep you. And keep looking up.